there's something that uh, I want to read to you. It's called the Ecstasy of Love. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to open there, you can. This is like, this is like of all the verses that you should have numbers or, or marked or memorized or highlighted or on your bathroom mirror. This is the verse for me. This is up there with John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I mean, this is up there with Jesus wept. No, I'm just kidding. This is like top of the line, top tier scripture verse. Not that the rest isn't good, but man, there's just something here with this one. It's 1 John 3, verse 1. It says, What manner of love has the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. Oh. What manner of love has the Father lavished on us that we should be called children of God? That is what we are. Say, I'm a child of God. Like, we say that as Christians, and, you know, maybe not very often. We used to a lot growing up. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the King. And, and it, it lost its meaning. Um, but I want you to think about that for a minute. You are a child of the King of Kings, the God of the universe, you're one of his kids. Uh, my children forever. Yeah, if you're, a, if you're a child, you're a child forever. Oh, how about that? Oh, man. So I wrote this just with that scripture in my mind, and, and it just kind of reminds me, this was a year and a half ago or so. Um, the Father lavishes or pours out with excess his love on us. Have you ever lavished love on somebody? I know that I daily lavish my love on my boys. It's just our thing. Both of my boys, they love to be kissed, and they love to be tickled, and they love to be chased, right? So I love to kiss them on the neck and under the arms. I don't care what their armpits taste like, smell like. I don't care. It's my boys, you know? Um, I want to kiss them on their ribs because that's where they're so ticklish, and Matthias is really ticklish on his, uh, up here in his shoulders and stuff. And um, kiss them on their bellies, and they laugh, and they laugh, and I melt, and I melt, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about, moms, dads? They will wear me out because they don't want me to stop. I mean, I'll be tired. I'll be worn out. And they'll, they'll get to the point of laughing so hard that they will cry, you know what I'm talking about? And it, it hurts them, you know, you're laughing so hard. But then they get their breather. <sighs> do it again, daddy, you know? It's do it again. And Josiah will say, Daddy, I still have sugars. That's our, that's our game. We would all, I, I learned it from my dad, I guess. I didn't realize this until I got older, but my dad used to do this for me. And he, he would say, I'm going to get your sugars. And I would have sugars on my neck and my armpits and my, my ribs. And my, so I'm doing it with my kids, you know, because that's the way I was raised, right? And he never told me to do it. And so when Dos, Josiah says, Daddy, I still have sugars, and he'll start giggling because he wants me to get his sugars again, right? Matthias, he's a, little, he's a little rascal. He will come to me and say, nah, nah, boo-boo, let's fight, Daddy. <laughs> what did he say when he got here today, babe? Daddy, let's fight. First thing, he has, I've barely seen him today. I've been up here, and he's at home with Mandy, and he comes in, the, fir the very first thing he looks at me and starts grinning, let's fight, Daddy. I was like, buddy, I'm finishing some work right now. Well, when you finish work, let's fight, Daddy. He just wants to fight. Because he, he just loves to fight, loves to wrestle. And so both of my boys, so he'll, he'll do that sometimes. He'll come in and go, and this was when he was really young, and he was barely talking. And he'd be like, nah, nah, boo-boo, 
uh, let's fight, Daddy. And he'd stick his tongue out at me in his ear, and he'll put his fingers in his ears, and he's trying to taunt me to come wrestle with him, right? Daring me to come catch him and lavish my love on him more and more. And uh, as I was thinking about how awesome it is to be a dad and have two boys, just something about it. Um, I love it. I've always wanted to be a dad. Um, when, as soon as I got a little bit older, started, I was like, dude, I can't wait to be a dad and have sons. There's just something about having kids, right? Oh, there's nothing like it. And um, I started thinking that God's just the same way as I am, even million, billion, trillion times more. And he loves to come love on us and loves it when we say, Papa, I still have sugars. Nana, boo-boo, let's wrestle. He loves it when we do that to him. He doesn't care what we smell like. Because Josiah, when he comes home from school, he smells like outside. Only a boy, and <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, they that dog, outside dog smell, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they smell like. <laughs> then, what's cool about God is I get tired doing it. They wear me out. I mean, we... We, every now and then, it, like if Mandy's mom will come down or, or, or uh, Sarah has stayed the night, we'll bring an extra mattress into another room, and they think that's the WrestleMania area. And if, as long as that mattress is there, it's fight time, wrestle time, it doesn't matter. Um, so it gets frustrating. We're like, we've got to get that thing out of here. We're, we're going to be fighting. They're going to be hyper and never go to bed. It's, it's excessive. Um, they'll get in so much trouble. We'll tell them stop. They'll hurt each other. They're doing all kinds of flips and and so um, we'll bring that down. I'll wrestle for it. Literally, there have been times we'll wrestle for 30, 45 minutes to an hour, and I'm done. I am worn out. I'm tired. My arms, because they want me to flip them, and they want me to hold them up with my feet, and my stomach feels like I've been doing crunches, and I'm like, I'm too out of shape, and I'm tired, and I'm like, I can't do it anymore. And they get that look like, aw. I'm like, yeah, I feel terrible because I can't keep going. I'm tired, son. And then God's like, you can do that to me, and I never get tired. I never get tired. I never grow weary. I never run out of energy to fight with you and wrestle with you and get your sugars. And I just want you guys to think about that tonight. He doesn't grow tired and weary, and he lavishes love on us till we can't take anymore, and we're the ones that are left breathless. And that's where we're going. God's teaching us as a church to love on him and to be loved by him. Probably most of us through, through a lot of our life and even up to now, we've probably had a hard time with letting people love on us and love us. <clears throat> For all different kinds of reasons, various goofy reasons and legitimate reasons. And that sometimes bleeds over into our, in a, into our relationship with God where we keep him at a distance and we don't re really think that we deserve love. We don't really think, like, we think the only way we get love is if we perform and, and deserve it. Because in human terms, if someone does something to hurt us, what do we do? We withdraw our love from them. That's the easiest way to punish somebody. <laughs> it's the meanest and easiest way to punish somebody. What, you, you, you hurt me? I'm withdrawing my love from you. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? But God doesn't even do that to us. He does not withdraw his love from us. And there's not like this, he doesn't expect us to be a certain way to deserve our love. He just wants to love on us. That loving on us is what transforms us. That being with him, that him tickling us and wrestling with us and, and being daddy to us and with us, that's what makes us become more like him. 
it's not the, to come into his presence we have to look a certain way. And so I just felt like the Lord wanted me to just open with that tonight. And, and we've been talking about he initiates, we respond. And he wants us to know that he's good. He's a good dad. He's the best dad there could ever be. And he's pleased with people. So many of us have so many mix-ups and hang-ups in relationships. Um, and God's like, dude, let all, the, let all the stuff that you've learned in earthly relationships bad. All the bad stuff from earthly relationships. Let it go because I'm not like earthly people. I'm a heavenly father. I'm different than earthly people. And he just wants us to learn to love on him and, 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 and to, to reciprocate. Like he loves on us and we love him. Like we can't even love him except that he loved us first. Hello? <laughs> like, I can't even make myself love him except he loved me before I was ever formed. And that love draws me into love with him. And this thing, the Christianity is not about um, the disciplines of Christianity. Are those things important? Yeah, they're important. The lifestyle, the disciplines, the breaking, bringing our bodies into submission, the self-control, the, the things that a believer does, those things are so important, but they're not the most important thing. Christianity is not supposed to be known for its disciplines. It's supposed to be known for its love affair. It's supposed to be known for its relationship. It's not supposed to be known for, for what we do for the Lord. You know, I've said this so many times recently that we're not going to be judged by the things we did. We're going to be judged whether or not we knew him and he knew us. Yeah? What I'm longing for is for us to just continue to grow in our ability to, to be loved on by him and then to love him back. Like that song, King Jesus, we love you because we have been loved. You initiated love, we're responding with love. You initiated love, we're pouring it back on you. Yeah? Father, I just pray right now that you would do this thing right here. That you would stir us into love. That you would stir us up into passion for you. Hmm. Father, I ask that you would help our, rec our receivers. <laughs> the things that, that receive love. The ability to receive love from you. Help us to, to be more sensitive to your love so that we can respond with greater love. Amen. There's um, the, the story of the woman who came and, and wept over Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her tears and, and poured perfume over him and, and worshipped him and broke the alabaster jar of perfume and it frustrated a lot of people and they were like, what are you doing? We could have sold that perfume and given the money to the poor. And Jesus is like, you'll always have the poor with you. They'll always be here. But I won't always be here. And what this woman has done was the most important thing. It was the most important thing. And he says this. He says, and I will not be taken away from her. Then he goes on and he says, and what this woman has done here today will go up as a memorial and she will be remembered forever for her act of love. And then Jesus looked at him and he says this. And this is what I want to talk about maybe for a minute. Whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. Why don't you say that with me? Whoever's been forgiven much. Whoever's been forgiven much. Loves much. 
How many have been forgive, forgiven for a few things? Yeah? Just a couple here and there. <laughs> a couple of gigabytes worth of information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. So our love should match the forgiveness we've received. Because to the degree... Huh, To the degree that we understand his love for us, we can love him. Did you guys hear that? Like, I can only love God to the level that I understand his love for me. If I think that God only loves me to five degrees, then I can only return love to him to that degree. Yeah? So I'm praying for us as a church to be known as radical lovers of God. And the way that happens is we have to realize that he loves on us daily, that he's infatuated with us. He's absolutely in love with us. The first thing he sees when he looks at us is not our issues. <laughs> you guys okay? Is this all right? He, he, he doesn't see the issues and have to, oh my God, I got to work myself through these issues and then I can love on them. Have you ever been mad at somebody and that person comes into your presence and you spend the first just few minutes trying to get past all the things you're mad at about? Yes. So, that you, so that you can just respond to Yeah, so anyone, your spouse ever comes home and you're thinking, you're mad at them all day and you, they first come in and you're just like, oh, I've got to get through this. I don't even want to speak to them because I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. And you're remembering it all and then you just let it go. And then and you, God doesn't do that to us. He's not like, oh my God, look at Lori. I can't even look at it right now. <laughs> the, the Bible says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which means that when God looks at us, he sees us through the, um, the perspective of who Jesus is, through the lens of Jesus. <laughs> you guys understand that? That means when he looks at me, he sees me as his son, as he sees you as his daughter. Perfect, not lacking anything, complete, mature. That relational, um, that place of relationship is called righteousness. It's called right standing. It's right relationship with God. It means that I'm where I'm supposed to be in my relationship with God. So when he looks at me, he doesn't see this stuff. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. So now my behavior will reflect who I am. That's where the shift takes place. You guys okay? So some of us think that I, I, we have to warm up in, in worship service a lot of times. <laughs> Anyone ever come to church and we start worship service and you spend the first two songs just trying to get straight so you feel like you're worthy to sing the words? Anyone ever been there? You're like, we say, okay, wait, wait. Um, oh, I can't sing that right now because, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the ride over here with the wife was not a good ride. I can't even talk about that right now. And so we spend those first, let me clean up a little bit. Let me dust myself off. Let me get everything straight. Let me put on my church face, and then I'll sing, and then I'll be ready. Look, I've, I've been on stage before. I know it happens every week with somebody. They feel like, I got to, I got to, uh-uh. God wants you to be ignorant of your weaknesses in that sense. <laughs> Because it restricts you from stepping into his presence, which is where all that stuff will be fixed in the first place. 
How many of you, when you, when you get down to pray, the, the first thing you launch into is, Father, forgive me for this thing that I did, for that thing that I did, for that thing that I did, for that thing. Anyone in the, raise your hand because I don't feel like I'm alone. <laughs> the first thing, Father, forgive me for this, 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 and this, and my attitude was wrong here, and I did this wrong thing there, and if there's anything that I happen to forget, just forgive me for it. Okay, now, what do you want to talk about? We're all good now. Air's been cleared, and the Lord's like, that was so unnecessary. I mean, I'm glad that you asked for forgiveness. I'm glad all that stuff. But you didn't have to do that to come be with me. Why do we do those things? Guilt. I love it. That's, that's true. Some of us do it out of respect, and, and it's, I think it's a good, good thing. Like, God, you're holy, and I want you to know, and there's nothing wrong with being that. But the problem is most of us don't do it from that heart. Most of us do it because we're guilty and we have shame. Remember the enemy and I read this Sunday in Genesis when it says that Satan was more crafty than any other creature that was ever created. And that word crafty means the ability to make naked or to cause shame. (laughs) Anytime I feel that I have to clean myself up or go through a religious exercise or through jump through hoops just to feel worthy enough to stand before God it's called self-righteousness what does the Bible say about self-righteousness it's like filthy rags and I'm not talking about your dish rag I'm not talking about your makeup wash rag he's talking about the menstrual cloth and in that time period, they didn't have the highfalutin, cool, awesome stuff that the ladies have nowadays. They literally wore cloths, like a diaper. And he goes, when you try to clean yourself up and come before me, it's like that rag. It's ugly. It's disgusting. Because, let's all be really honest here, we can confess everything that we want to, and we're still people of flesh. <laughs> Like, we can't on our own make ourselves clean. It's impossible. There is no righteousness. There is no purity. There is no forgiveness outside of grace. I can't have grace if I go through the steps of law. The law comes from guilt, shame, punishment. Comes from the flesh, from sin. Grace comes from the spirit. Comes from mercy. Comes from love completely different worlds so how do you approach God when you come into his presence now I know let me say this he's always with us and he's always there which is always funny to me we feel like we have to confess all these evil things that we did and he was with us when we did them (laughs) we made him a partner in crime basically (laughs) guilty by association and then we're all of a sudden, oh wait, I'm in church, I'm in your presence, God is definitely here, I gotta take care of this stuff. And God's like, I never left you, I never forsook you. And the word forsake means to leave drowning, surviving. I never leave you like that. <laughs> you guys okay? I just want us to become more aware of what it takes for us to receive love from God. Like, we're making him work really hard just to love on us. <laughs> I want us as a church, and, and I love it. I love what's going on because we're going this way. I want us to be carried along by grace. I do. That is the 
it's a deep desire in my heart. And if the Lord wills, Sunday I'm going to talk more about grace and, and stuff like that. But it is my greatest desire that we learn what grace is all about. You know that, I, I quote that scripture, and I, I usually quote it from the message. It's, it's Matthew, I think it's 10, 28, 29, 30. It says, come to me, all who are weary. I'll show you what real rest is. Come learn of me. Come be beside me. Just come hang out with me, and I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. That, that last part's my favorite. Like, th that's like one of the most poetic things I've ever heard. The unforced rhythms of grace. Like, it's not forced. It's not stirred up. It's not ugh, made to happen. It just happens. And, and um, I sent an email out, and I, I put this line in here. It was, it was uh, Tuesday. And I said, I want us as a church to be carried along by the momentum of grace. I want us to be carried by the momentum of grace. I, I want us to go from glory to glory and let grace just take us there. I don't want us to get caught up in performance. And, and that doesn't mean that doing the right things aren't important. They are. They're just not the most important thing. They come as a byproduct of the most important thing. Yeah? We think that we're loved and we're righteous by the things that we do. I mean, we really, it's so, it's, we talk about this so much. I feel like don't, don't become dull to this, to this topic because it's true. We feel that if we do a lot of things right, we're more confident in our ability to hear from God and to receive from God. How many of you have ever gone through a week where you're like, man, I just, I hit a grand slam this week. Maybe it's just a day. I did a great job today. Today was a wonderful day. Good job. And we're like, man, I knocked it out of the park today. God, what you got? I'm ready. I'm all perfect today. <laughs> I find it for me that are, those are the times I find it harder to receive from him. I don't know why. And it doesn't mean to go mess up and sin so that grace can, can, can pour into my life. Paul says, because grace is so awesome, do, do we sin so we can have grace? No. Live in grace. Live in grace. Live in grace. Grace empowers people. I'm, I'm trying to, there's such a big word in my heart, I'm trying not to get into Sunday because I'm like, I had to save that for Sunday. It's, it's for Sunday, it's not for right now because I don't want to repeat the same stuff over and over again, but I got to do whatever comes out, right? Learn from grace. Grace empowers people. Um, I, I said this this Sunday, and you're, you're going to hear it again in quite a bit until we all really just hone into this being the way we think and we're, we're wired. You can reveal things through judgment or things can be revealed through grace. There are two methods. I can come to you and say, you just thought this evil thought earlier today and you did this thing and you did this thing and you can be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. This person knows the things that I've been doing. God, forgive me. And I think that maybe, <laughs> maybe that um, encounter and that process can bring you to a place of encounter with God. But I know for 100% certainty that when the grace of God comes into a room, he will always take care of the issues that are in our heart. Because grace allows whatever's there to grow, good and bad. He, he told a parable, uh, it's called the parable of the, of the wheat and the tares. And in, in those times, what would happen is the wheat would start growing up in the fields, and these weeds called tares would grow up right beside the wheat. And you couldn't tell the difference. They looked the same. The wheat and the tares looked similar. They would, as they grew, as they grew and they grew, you couldn't tell the difference between the two. 
And so he was telling them, the, 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 the harvester was like, look, don't separate the wheat from the tares now. Because if you do, you'll damage some of the wheat. You have to wait until the, the day of harvest. And on that time, we'll separate the wheat from the tares. You know how they f- discover which one's wheat and which one's tares? As they begin to produce the, the fruit, begin to produce the wheat, they begin to bow low under the weight of what they produce. But the tares don't because they don't produce the fruit and they stand upright and proud. So as they grow together, one, they reveal themselves. Grace lets whatever's in our heart, wheat and tares, he wants it to grow because in a grace culture, it'll take care of it. He'll take care of it when the time's right. But, but if we do this judgment thing and just start yanking stuff out and say, you got to get rid of this and you got to get rid of that, then what we do is we damage sometimes. And, and, and we've called this discipleship for 40 years. We've called it discipleship. What is the discipleship program? Well, it's where you go into a class and people put boundaries on you to control you so that you don't do the evil that's in your heart to do. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? And we've called it discipleship. And I've even done it. I had discipleship programs where I gave curfews to young people and I told them what to read in the Bible and I gave them questions of what to, what to you know, here's, a, here's read this passage and answer these questions and I thought if I could just do this, then I'll control them. And you, you can only watch this much TV during the day and you can only listen to this much other kind of music. And we did all these things because we were so afraid of the evil that was in people's hearts that we discipled them through control instead of grace, which lets whatever's there grow and then grace will deal with it. <laughs> he doesn't want the terror to stay there. He wants to take care of it. But there's a way to take care of it. You know, I use this example, so anyway, use it again. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. The disciples didn't know that he was going to betray Jesus. That whole three and a half years, that whole three years that they did ministry together next to each other, they hung out. They went through classes with Jesus together. They did miracles with Jesus. They fed the 5,000. They raised the dead. They cleansed lepers. They did all this stuff. And that whole time, Judas did the exact same things that all the other disciples were doing. He was a tear growing among the wheat. And Jesus could have fixed it all and pulled him out early. But I believe he was giving him opportunity, 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 right? I want us to, to learn to grow through grace, to, to understand what it means. God is still holy. How many believe that? Like, he's still holy. I mean, he's our friend, and he's our, our father, and he's all those. He's the big teddy bear, too, right? But he's still holy, and he's still a God who, who breathes fire from his mouth. <laughs> his eyes are flaming with fire, and he has a sword in his hand. Right? And he commands the armies of God. He's, he's both of those things. So we're going to teach balance because I, I want us to, to honor him as holy and pure. But I know that when I let him love on me and I begin to love him back to the degree that I let him love on me, it helps me in so many more ways to know who he is, to understand him, and to honor and, re- and revere him and fear him in a good way than I ever could have through judgment. Judgment will create the wrong kind of fear. Grace will create the right kind of fear. Amen?
You guys good? Are there any questions? I don't even I have to go back and listen. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I have no notes up here, so I may have to go back and say, oh, hey, theologian. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so judgment creates the wrong kind of fear. Grace creates the right kind of fear. That's good. You know, I guess a few years back when this new message that God's in a good mood came out, and it, it wasn't just through Bethel, I mean, it was around the world, um, all over. People like, dude, God's really good, he's in a good mood, he's not mad, he's not frustrated, he's not this, that. And um, they said that, you know what, there's going to be a huge division in the church, and it's going to be along that premise, on the goodness of God. That people are going to be like, he can't be that good. No, he can't. No, 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 no. He's holy and he's pure and he, and he doesn't like sin and sin makes him sick at his stomach and all that kind of stuff. So we got to be really careful because God's good, but, but he's the judge. And um, I don't want to fall on the wrong side of that argument <laughs> because um, if, you'll, if you'll read John 3, 14, 15, 16, 17. After it says, for God so loved the world, it says, and, and Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, but that the world through him could find salvation, could be saved. So for, for me to think that there's this, that God's just bent on judgment, he's bent on punishing people. No, he's not. Um, there's a quote I have from Mike Bickle. He's from IHOP. And I heard this quote today, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's like the best thing I've ever heard him say. Unbelievable. So good. Sorry. Well, I've got so many quotes in here. Because I, I literally overwhelm myself with quotes. Are you ready? I know it took me forever. Our greatest, our greatest emotional need is to have the assurance that we are enjoyed by God even in our weakness. Oh, I was like, wow. Our greatest emotional need is to have the assurance that we are enjoyed by God even in our weakness. That's so good sure does. Yeah. That's true. When we see him as daddy, it's, it fixes everything. 
fixes everything. Um, the other, another quote from him that I just read said that, uh, I'm butchering it. I'm sorry, Mike, wherever you are. <laughs> All the way in Kansas City. You'll never know me or meet me or hear of me, so I retract my apology. <laughs> um, yeah, you won't listen. Uh, it, uh, God's, God reserves his judgments for whatever attacks his, his love for us. God reserves his judgment for whatever thing comes in to try to take away his love. That's, uh, I'll have to find the real quote, but I was like, wow. He's blowing my mind the last couple of days. Oh, wow. So we think that God wants to judge sin and judge this. And he wants to judge anything that keeps you and me from receiving love from him. Because his love transforms us. His love renews us. It makes us alive. Yeah? Anything else? We're going to close and pray. And All right. Lord, <laughs> teach us what grace is. Teach us what it means to be sons and daughters. To have full confidence that you enjoy being with us at all times. And Lord, because you love us, we love you too. And we do want to do right things. It is in our heart to bring honor to you. <laughs> so help us to put thir first things first. Help us to just be with you to be in your presence, to spend time with you, to, for you to get our sugars, Lord. <laughs> Just lavish us with love. <laughs> and we want to be gluttons for God's love. Is that okay? <laughs> Take a, a word that's bad and make it good. I want to just like crave it. I want to be addicted to it, addicted to his love, addicted to his affection, just being in his presence. How many, how many loves when he just comes into a room and you just feel it and it's just like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere else. He wants us to live in that. And it's even better than that and better than that and better than that and better than that. Yeah. So don't let the enemy trick you and get you down fighting in the mud with him. Yeah. Why don't you pray for the person next to you? Just that God will just overwhelm them with a understanding, a knowledge of grace. I feel sorry for you. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Father, we break that. Um, that orphan spirit, we break that orphan spirit. We break that orphan spirit where we don't feel like we, we deserve or we don't feel like we measure up. <laughs> we break that spirit, Lord. Oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. God is love. God is love.
There is no one else for me, none but Jesus, crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him praise, cause all my delight is in you, Lord, all of my hope. All of my strength, all my delight is in you, Lord, forevermore. Cause all my delight is in you, Lord. All of my hope, all of my strength, all my delight is in you, Lord, forevermore. And when you call, I won't delay. This my song through all my days. And when you call, I won't refuse each new day again I'll choose there is no one else for me none but Jesus crucified to set me now I live to bring him praise. Let's sing one more time, all my delight. And all my delight is in you, Lord. All of my hope, all of my strength, all my delight is in you, Lord, forevermore. Cause all my delight is in you, Lord. All of my hope, all of my strength, all my delight is in you, Lord, forevermore. Thank you, Lord. So don't delay when he calls and don't refuse. I love it. Well, guys, love you guys. Thank you all so much for being here. Enjoy the cool weather. Feels great. Drive with the windows down on the way home. And uh, be blessed.